Why don't you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, and I'm going to read it in the King James Version and go old school. Anyone going to let me go old school to kick this thing off? For as he thanketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee. Welcome to English class again, right? Some Elizabethan English for you. But his heart is not with thee. And what does this mean? Let me just say it again. Let me put it in modern vernacular. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We're going to break this down today. We got any note takers in the house? All right, all right. Um, recently, I've been trying to do better by my health. I am down 14 pounds. Hallelujah. I'll take all the support I can get. But, you know, we hit the one-year mark as a church, and I just felt like it was an appropriate time to, you know, just take care of myself for a little bit. And I've been on that journey. And how many of you know, maybe some of the ladies can help me out with this. It is hard breaking up with that, that low-down dog, Ronald McDonald. That is a bitter breakup. You know what I'm saying? Any of the guys know what it's like to have Wendy texting you all night? You're trying to count sheep, but you start counting nuggets. You're like 6, 12, 18, right? Anyone here a fan of ranch dressing? People in Indiana get that in like an IV form. At our house, instead of breaking the case to get a fire extinguisher, it's, a, it's, it's ranch dressing in there. I'm not even kidding. I am married to a basic white girl. She is basic. She said, she goes, I am. <laughs> so I quit all that stuff, and I'm on my own little journey. So I initiated this journey by going to the doctor and just doing like a complete physical blood work, blah, blah, blah. But what happened that I thought was so interesting is there is a rock star doctor, and he was playing the part of like secretary, nurse, whatever, and he's taking people in and out, and I'm seated, and then all of a sudden he brings this woman out, and he's like kind of being gentle, and he's like, you know, be careful, be careful. And then he just kind of broadcasts this message to the entire, uh, you know, this, the entire staff, like, be careful with her, you might rip her skin. Now, I'm kind of gory and weird, and I'm like, what is wrong with this woman that you can rip her skin like a page out of a magazine? And then I hear it, you know what I mean? And then I start thinking about the crunchy, succulent skin of a fried chicken wing from KFC. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, no, no love for KFC on Long Island. The franchisees are like, not here. <laughs> But I thought to myself, like, what, what's wrong with her? And I'm kind of thinking about that. But then something dawned on me because we're preaching this series called The Unoffendable Heart. And I thought, and we're dealing specifically today with one of the four chambers of your heart. And spiritually, one of those chambers is labeled the chamber of confidence. The chamber of confidence. And I kind of had this revelation that, see, because this doctor in the chamber of confidence of his heart knows that he is called by the universe, if you will, to be a healer, he can suddenly tolerate the fragility of this woman's skin and then facilitate her healing and then get other people around him. Do we got any preachers in the house here? Do you know where I'm going? Because he knew who he was. He was a healer. He wasn't mad at her for being sick. He wasn't frustrated with her for having skin that's easily rippable, which I still have no idea why or how, and I'm still curious about it. But he was simply on a mission to accommodate and facilitate her as she's on a road to healing. 
And that's why it's so absolutely important for you to have this chamber of confidence just, just healed and whole and sealed up so that you know who you are. Because I'll tell you what, doctors, because they've signed up to be healers, can actually facilitate an entire life being surrounded by agitated, frustrated, sick, and weird people. Because you all know you get weird when you get sick. At my house, I have a black robe, and that black robe only comes on when I'm sick. Once every two years, when dad emerges from the bathroom with the black robe, everyone just starts, God, <laughs> we pray for dad now. They start doing the last rites. But when you know who you are and you have an identity, that identity will facilitate endurance to go through and to help other people. And what would happen if V1 Church was a church full of people who had the chamber of confidence healed and we ourselves were not just looking to be served, but we were looking to serve and we ourselves were healers. And then instead of being offended that somebody's offended, we would facilitate it and say, hey guys, let's do the best we can by this person. They're fragile right now. You know, it's a lot easier to fill a hospital than it is a church nowadays. You want to know why? Because nobody's mad that you're sick when you get there. What would it look like if it was okay to be sick in our church? And if you're here and you're visiting, you want to know why it's so full? Because there's no perfect people allowed. That's how the lead pastor gets in, right? And when you know that you can go to a place where you can get healed and whole and go on a journey and somebody can walk you down the corridor of time and say, everyone watch out, they got thin skin now, but I know what they're going to be. And on the other side of their healing, they're going to be ripping out the, the destiny that God's got for them. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, interestingly, it doesn't say, now I went to Facebook and I said, Facebook, help me preach this message. And Facebook failed. Let me tell you how. Zuckerberg always fails us. <laughs> Poor Zuck. But I asked them, what, how do you deal with a lack of confidence? When your confidence is rocked, that chamber of confidence in your heart. And they said, well, and all the Christians were like, you know, I do this thing where I wake up in the morning and um, I take this like perfectly posed picture of my Bible with like a cup of coffee. And it's like, you know, it's Nigerian beans, you know, single source, because that's what God wants. And, uh, and then I do a Devo. And then whatever God says about me, that's what I am. <laughs> that's how I imagine my head. That's what I am right? Do you have any bills? Are you in debt? No, God just pays it for me. I just sit down at restaurants and he tips them too. It's crazy. Like what, what God do you serve? I don't know what he's talking about. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And people were saying that, well, I just go to God and God tells me who I am. That's how I know who I am. And then some people said, well, I just go to my friends and my relatives and they remind me who I am. And you know, that may work out for you if you've got a good family, but my nickname is Doolittle in my family. You know that? That's how hillbilly we are. You don't even know who Doolittle is. It was Loretta Lynn's husband, and you probably don't know who Loretta Lynn is because there's no country fans here. Johnny Cash, anyone? All right. <laughs> my mentor, Johnny Cash. But the thing about it is this. They were wrong because this scripture doesn't say, for as God thinks about you, that's who you are. That's controversial as a Christian. 
because it should be enough that God said it. But do you know that the loudest voice in your heart is the one that you believe the most? And guess who you trust when we're singing that song, you're never going to let me down. You trust yourself more than God, but you've let yourself down. You might even leave here and go right into that drive-thru and let yourself down again. <laughs> you might have let yourself down on the drive here yelling at your family, we're going to go to church today. And your kid's just like, who do we serve, the devil or God? <laughs> right? We let ourselves down, and yet the loudest voice inside of our heart is our own voice. Matter of fact, for those of you who would just so easy, easily dismiss this archaic text we call the Bible, the Bible says, for as a man thinks in his heart. Say the word thanks. Okay, think about this. How do you think in your heart? Doesn't all the thinking happen in your brain? Do you know that modern science knows that you have so many neurons in your gut that if you were to cluster them together, it would be the size of a small dog brain? Isn't that crazy to think about? I mean, there's an instinct. Have you ever heard people say, I made a gut level decision or I went to that church and I just knew in my gut I was home? Because your little dog brain was like, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Then... You also, <laughs> you also have neurons in the cells composed and comprising your heart. So it is possible, they even call it in modern science, heart memory. There's even a phenomenon, and I know it's true because it's on YouTube, which is peer-reviewed and scientific, that people have received heart transplants from anonymous donors and felt like they had uh, ma the materialization of memories that weren't their own and then found out who it was and, and it matched up. I mean, who knows, right? But the Bible, this archaic text, knew many, many years ago that your heart can think and it's going to be what you say in your own heart. And so can I just go ahead? Now, I'm just boiling the water right now. I can promise you I will be climbing these chairs and foaming at the mouth in about eight and a half minutes. Can you go with me? All right. <laughs> Write this down. Whoever you put the most confidence in becomes the greatest source of your confidence. Whoever you put the most confidence in becomes the greatest source of your confidence. And here's what's really problematic about that. Put your confidence in yourself, you'll fail yourself when you go back to that abusive relationship with Ronald. Put your confidence in, in, in another human being, and when they reveal how broken and messed up they really are, you're going to be set up for a letdown. Put your confidence in Jesus, and then you'll be on a sure foundation. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 says this, uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, uh, who do you say that I am? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And, and in that audience, now a lot of times we just think, uh, for those of you who are not biblical scholars, that there were just 12 disciples. But in fact, at this time, there was 12 plus a lot more, okay? And maybe it was like the size of this crowd if you're looking around. And among them was this guy named Peter. Now, Peter was that kid in school that used to go around saying, you know, D's make degrees, right? <laughs> Do you know that kid, D's make degrees? That kid who was like uh, not so intelligent, but he's like, I'm going to get an A in participation because I'm going to fail this final, and an A and an F equals a D minus, and I'm going to walk the same stage as you. And that kid that when the, when the teacher was like, you're going to be working in groups, you were like, please don't give me that kid, right? Right? You want to say their names on the count of three? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they might be here. <laughs> they might be your boss. <laughs> okay. 
So, <laughs> so Peter was that guy. Peter was like not necessarily the most intelligent guy. You know, he wasn't uh, the sharpest tool in the shed, you know. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. You feel that? Your lead pastor just did that to you. That's the 2018 version of Rick Rowan, by the way. But he was kind of stupid. Peter was kind of stupid. And I've always identified with Peter because where he lacked in intelligence, you know where he made up? He was bout it. Can somebody say bout it? Look at your neighbor and say, are you bout it? And go like this. You know, check him like this. Are you bout it? Peter was bout it, man. I'm from Hammond, Indiana, which is on the south side of Chicago, on the Indiana side. And when somebody was going to say something about your mama, you're like, you don't say it unless you're about it. Unless you're willing to fight me on, the, on the, the, the bike trail right after school. I don't know if you know if you guys have bike trails. That's where we fought because the cops didn't go to the bike trail. Peter was about it, man. This guy, went, matter of fact, fast forward this story, and they're in the garden, and centurion soldiers begin to accumulate, and all of a sudden, Peter was so about it, he was shooting to kill. They didn't have guns. They had swords, and he tried to take a dude's head off and just got his ear. And Jesus didn't even rebuke Peter for that. Of all things Peter got in trouble for, he didn't really, he's like, hey, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's a Tupac song. Check it out. <laughs> What he was saying was there's natural consequences for natural actions. And this kingdom's not going to be built that way. It's going to be built supernaturally. And so we don't fight with those weapons, but the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so Peter was bowed it. Say bowed it. God knew who was going to be a sellout and who was going to be a cop out. And he asked this question, who do you say I am? It's an important question if you're going to throw away your Brooks Brothers and you're going to throw away your, uh, you know, your, your suit and tie and whatever your identity was before and, and just put on the flip-flops and a robe and follow a guy through the desert. I think a very important question to ask the masses that are following you everywhere is who do you say I am? And then these guys said this, because look at verse 14. It says this. Verse 14 says, they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, who's the they? You know who the they is? The podcast fans. They love Jesus' podcast because it taught them about all, all the good stuff that helped inspire them for life. The they was the Instagram quote junkies who followed Jesus because on the Monday grind to work, it gave them a little pep in their step, right? They said, well, we don't really know who you are, but they say this. I asked myself when I was preparing this message, am I just like a Jesus Instagram quote junkie because it makes me feel better? I asked myself, like, am I, would I just really be into the Jesus podcast on iTunes because it gives me an escape from the grind that I'm on every day? That's what these people were. But Jesus was looking for followers with unoffendable hearts, and he was getting ready to examine the chamber of confidence. He was getting ready to check them. He was getting ready to test them. You know, some of you have got family members that are checking you and testing you about the decisions that you've made in your life. Do you have an unoffendable heart? Will you stay the mission and, and do what God's called you to do even if they don't get it and they don't understand? Jesus, after hearing their response, he, he says this, he goes, he now looks and he says, but, but forget about the masses. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, 
this is important. This is an important question because depending on where you're at with this whole church thing, you may have watched us raise our hands during worship and been like, is this whole church preparing for like a trip to Six Flags Great America, like roller coaster? You know, like, are they all like going through the motions of like what happens in a hostage situation? You know, this might be so weird to you. And, and, and I think we're at that point where it's like, well, who is Jesus? What is Jesus? Is just as an alternative to the other church I had? Or are these people really following Christ? And see, right now, there should be this dialogue that's been happening. And I'm just going to call the audible right now. I'm preaching English. It's definitely not a romantic language, right? You want to be romantic, you speak Spanish. Espíritu Santo. Even religious stuff sounds better in Spanish. Espíritu Santo. Like, man, I found. Like, anyways. Um, but while I'm speaking English, the Holy Spirit should have been dialoguing with your heart this whole message. Your notes shouldn't only consist of the things I'm saying, but the things that God's revealing. Your notes should be this dialogue that's happening with you and the Holy Spirit. And see, Peter, the D's make degrees guy, as Jesus was preaching each day and, and Jesus was going through, you know, the, the ministry and training these disciples. See, another conversation was happening in his heart. He began to hear the Holy Spirit say, that guy, you see him preaching right now. Some say he's Elijah. Some say he's Jeremiah. Some say he's a quack. Some say he just wants our money. Some say that he's just in it for the fame and the influence. But that is the Messiah the savior of the world and he got it and all of a sudden in verse 17 jesus replied well verse 16 simon peter replied you are the messiah the son of the living god i got the answer i got the right answer and jesus said blessed are you simon the theology bible school flunky the dude who really don't have it all figured out it says for that was not revealed to you by your sunday school teacher in v1 kids that was not revealed to you on a V1 Church podcast. But my Father in heaven told you that. And now you are getting a name change before you get a nature change. And there's somebody in this room. There's somebody watching on the live stream right now. There's somebody listening to this podcast right now who's about to get a name change before you get a nature change. And some of your friends are still going to be teaching, like, acting like you're still your nature. But they're going to watch the nature change because the name's about to change. Somebody here is getting ready to get promoted. Yeah. And, and you know, Peter, at that particular moment, he said, you are Simon Peter. Simon in Greek, the original language meant to hear. Peter meant Petros. So his name was Simon. That's how the world knew him. But God's saying, now your, your name means to hear. Because you've heard, you have become the solid rock. And he gave him a name change. And this is what I want you to write down. In Christianity, you don't grow by gaining more knowledge, but by each step of obedience. Let me say it again. In Christianity, you don't just grow alone by gaining more knowledge, but by each step of obedience. And see, all the podcast junkies and Instagram quote fans were there just hoping that they might get a fix in their intellect. But there was a guy who maybe was too stupid to figure it all out. But God said, I'm going to reveal my glory by causing this guy to take a next step of obedience. And that obedience equals advancement. 
the, the obedience equals advances. And there is somebody in this room, there is somebody listening who's getting ready to advance because you're getting ready to obey. And I've seen Christians, the more knowledge you heap up, if, if, the, if the input doesn't equal or surpass the, or equal the output, you could become a Pharisee. And then you're the kind of Christian nobody wants to be around. Because you lord your knowledge over everyone, but your knowledge hasn't caught up with your freedom. Or your freedom hasn't caught up with your knowledge. And you've got to materialize these things that you're hearing today. Pride and arrogance, they actually indicate disease of the chamber of confidence. Some of the most arrogant people you've ever met in your life are people who have no idea who they are. Bravado is the replacement for confidence. When you got to walk around like this and it ain't because you're ripped, it's because you're weak and you don't know who you are. When you've, you have, you know, the more machismo you put on display, the less of a man I think you really are. Because there's a gentleness and a meekness that men have and the Holy Spirit takes you on a journey to say, yeah, you'll need that strength, but I'm going to take you into a dimension where I give you access to everything and you are a, a, a male by birth, but you're going to be a man by choice. Obedience is more then knowledge will advance you in this thing. And I've seen it happen in ministry so many times. And Jesus actually says, Peter, guess what? All those brainiacs on the side, you're about to pass them up. And not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against the rock which I established this church on. The rock is the revealed word of God. If you are here, that's the solid rock God wants to take you to, to get a name change and a nature change. Jesus tells a story about two houses. One house was built on the sand and the other one was built on the rock. And I like to think that the one that was built on the sand was probably a five and a half story house. And they were probably rocking the New Hill Song worship album. And, and they probably had, um, you know, Elevation playing on their Apple TV and Stephen Furtick was dropping bombs and they were hooping and hollering. And then that one that was built on the rock, I like to think about it as just a one story shack built on the rock. And see, until the rain and the storm shows up, it may look like you're better off in the five-and-a-half-story mansion. But I'll tell you what, when you have built your life on the revealed word of God, when the storms come, you'll see who the five-and-a-half-story Christians are who are just going through the motion and the ones who said, I have built my thing on the rock. And, you know, it's just something I've gone back to every single time is that faith not tested can't be trusted. And you can kind of get on fire for God for a season, but it's going to be tested. And Peter was on fire at this particular point. But there was a test that was coming. Look at John chapter 6, verse 53. It says, Jesus said to them, Verily, Very truly I say to you. Now he was preaching a hard word, okay? He was, this was to the masses. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. At that point in his service, you know what happened when all the masses that were following him heard that? Oh, no, I knew this thing was, this whole thing wasn't a cult. Now we got to drink blood? Now, now we got to eat flesh? Oh, I knew, I knew this church was crazy. I was just waiting for it to drop. You know what I'm saying? And they begin to walk away, and in verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of the disciples say many. 
Okay, this could be your family member. This could be your best friend that doesn't get why you're going all in on the things of God. Many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? But see, what was happening was there was an internal dialogue that was supposed to be happening with the Holy Spirit, and they would have known. He's not talking about drinking real blood and eating real flesh. He's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and if you accept it, you'll have eternal life. And they didn't get it. Aware that the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The message of the gospel in of itself is offensive. It's offensive. Verse 66 says this, from the time many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. Who are the people who didn't follow him? The people who walked away that day were like, oh, I get it. If I get around Jesus, maybe they'll give me the microphone and I can preach one Sunday so I can gain more influence. Oh, I get it. Maybe if I show up, I can learn more and grow personally. But they missed the fact that the God in flesh is there among them. And this whole thing is always going to be about Jesus. It's not about Mike Signorelli. It's not about Julie. It was about him in the past, in the present, in the future. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And those people that walked away were the same people that had these motives about why they were doing what they were doing. But God will always search your heart. He will go right into the epicenter of your motives and he will check you and give you a crossroads and say, today you get to choose. And when he put Peter, stupid Peter, dumb Peter, Peter who was not a theologian in the crossroads, Peter said this. He goes, Jesus asked the 12 now, he's going back to the original, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know what he was saying? Peter was saying, Jesus, I'm just going to be straight up. I have heard too much now. I have seen too much. I have got a revelation. I'm standing on the solid rock, and I know who I am. And no, Peter didn't look like a five-story mansion Christian with it all together. You know, he didn't have his celebrity pastor physique yet. He was still on his weight loss journey. You know what I'm saying? Peter probably still cussed a little. Peter probably smoked a cigarette behind the church building. You know, Peter may not have had it all together where he got a revelation of who Jesus is and is there anyone here who's got a revelation of who Jesus is I mean you don't know what kind of fight you've got in you until you've been in a fight is there somebody going through a fight I mean you don't get a Rocky Balboa until you put him up against that Russian who's taking the same steroids those McNuggets you're trying not to eat are taking but you don't know what kind of fight you've got in you until you are in a fight. And whenever Jesus put the squeeze down on Peter, a revelation came out that he was the real deal. Would you just stand to your feet? I'm speaking into the core of the chamber of your confidence. God has called you to do something great with your life. Peter had greatness all in him, and it wasn't advanced by just accumulating more knowledge and doing nothing about it. But he took one step of obedience, and he did the wrong things with the right heart. God can work with that. Can I get an amen? 
I've done a lot of wrong things with the right heart. This whole series, we're dealing with an unoffendable heart. There are going to be some people in your life that don't understand why you've chosen to follow Jesus. They're not going to get the same revelation. It's why you can come out of here being like, that was one of the most powerful, impactful services I've been in a long time. And then your brother's like, I thought it was all right. Because there were disciples that were following Jesus that said, you know what, Jesus, you've gone too far now. I loved it when you were my guru. I loved it when you were my leadership leader. I loved it when you were my mentor. But to be my Lord where I've got to bow down before you and give you everything and die to myself so that I can learn how to live again, you've gone too far. And I'm here to tell you the real gospel happens when you die to yourself. In marriage, I don't get to do everything I want to do to be a good husband. i got to die to myself. Babe, I was going to spend this money on something else. You better go get your nails did. Die to yourself because in the kingdom, the way up is down. I said in the kingdom of heaven, the way up is down. Matter of fact, with Peter's story, there was going to come a day where he was going to be upside down on a cross. And you ask yourself, why was he crucified upside down? It's because as they went to go take that Roman way of torture and murder and kill him the way Jesus was killed, he had such a measure of humility in the chamber of confidence, knowing how much of his life and the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the prosperity that came on him was God, that he said, I'm not even worthy to die the same way Jesus died. Flip me upside down. So there's no comparison. I know who he is and I know who I am. And I'm here to tell you, if any ounce of greatness ever comes out of any one of you, if it's true greatness, you will know that you, how little of a part you played in it and how much God in his favor and his mercy and his goodness opened the doors and caused the possible to become possible for you. That's the only explanation. Pastors are like, how is this church growing? Churches don't grow in this region. I said, well, you, I don't know, have you met my dad? Because my dad told me that he owns a cattle on a thousand hill and I can have access to whatever I want because what's impossible for man is possible for my dad. Have you met him? Peter was a recipient of this power that he knew, oh man, it's that power working inside of these earthen vessels that you begin to look at that light on display and you say the light that's emanating from those earthen vessels are in it but not of it there's something else at work in their midst because mike's not that smart there's something at work in their midst because they don't play that good for this to happen yes it is the power of the holy ghost it's the power of the holy spirit and he begins to have the dialogue and it doesn't matter how eloquent I was when he does his job because he'll begin to penetrate into your heart and go to the chamber of confidence and he'll begin to tell you, I want you to repeat after me. And this is what he'll begin to do. And he'll take your heart through the motions of reviving the chamber of confidence. So here's what we're going to do. Are you ready? This church is going to start a post-it revolution. That's right. Look at your seats down here in front of you and where you guys have post-its. You guys know what a post-it is? We're going to start a post-it revolution. And what we're going to do is this. Sometimes you have to see it and then say it to become it. You hear me? Sometimes you have to see it and then say it to become it because the voice that's loudest in your life is your own heart speaking. And so here's the thing. 
When I was 17 years old, I decked my room out with everything that God said about me and my situation. My mom was a single mom on welfare with five kids, and we were living in this house. And I said, this, this is contradictory to the reality of what God's called me to, and I'm going to see it and say it until I become it. And I got my heart to begin to use the neurons of my heart to start thinking about who God called me to be. So we are going to start a post-it revolution this week. I dare you, if your husband didn't come to church today, to put out there, you are a man of God and a priest and a prophet in our home and put it on his bathroom mirror so he can see it until he says it and becomes it. I dare you. I dare you to write on that post-it. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind, and I will not bend my knee to anxiety anymore. I dare you. Say it in your heart, because as you think in your heart, that's what you are. Anyone here ready to join me on this post-it revolution this week? Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.